Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions uh, that you want to get answered about the Bible, or even our Bible reading plan, email those questions to info at Grove Church. Hit us up on Facebook, whatever um, is easiest for for you. We want to know those. And what we do, in, in fact, actually just a couple days ago, by the time you're listening to this, um, our Q&A episode has released uh, for the month of March. Month and of March. So um, go take a listen to that. It's our bonus episode. I'm sorry. Uh, one more time. It's our bonus episode. Thank you. Yep. That's beautiful. And with that, um, we're excited to hop into the Bible reading this week. All right. So we're going to kick things off in the book of Numbers. And we're going to talk about, um, I mean, I think it's fair to say this is one of the craziest stories that we get, um, particularly in the book of Numbers, but really in the Bible as a whole. And that is Korah's Rebellion. And so you'll remember when we introduced uh, the book of Numbers, we talked about how um, – for lack of a better term, for lack of a better word, uh, the 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 people in the first numbering of Israel, they're just they're the worst. Like they just over and over again, God does something incredible, and then they complain. And it's like like God parts the Red Sea. Like you literally are walking through the ocean. Let's just talk about not just parts the Red Sea. It says that they walked across dry land. Oh my goodness! And then like a few <laughs> chapters later, they're like, "Why did you take us out of this place to die?" Yeah, we would have rather been slaves than be free, dude. It's just. It's the worst. These people. What's that? If you give a mouse a cookie, is that a book? Yeah, that's a book. Yeah, they're going to want other things too. All right. But um, in in all seriousness, though, when we're reading through the book of Numbers, I think it's very easy. No, I am serious, actually. (laughs) They're idiots. It's very easy to look back and think of them as just kind of, well, or I guess think of it this way. Think I would never do that. And bear in mind that when we're reading about the people of Israel, we're really reading about ourselves. We see over and over and over again that God does something amazing and the people of Israel forget about it. How many times in our lives has God done something amazing for us and we forget about it? So lest we think that we are not a part of these people. Well, when um, you say it like that. When you say it like that. That being said, these guys are the worst. And so we're going to get into uh, Numbers chapter. So you're saying it's a mirror. It's a, you're That looking, we're looking at ourselves and we're hypocrites when we – Say that the Israelites are stupid? Sure. Well, I don't know if we're hypocrites, but because two things can be true. They can be the worst, and then we can also fall short okay. many times as well. There it is. Um, God so, bless the Israelites. Oh, man. So we're going to be in Korah's Rebellion, chapter 16. And this is really um, one of one of the major climaxes in the book of Numbers. It's one of the biggest instances of rebellion that we see. And so I'm going to read a couple sections of it, but I want to give a little bit of background. Um, again... Israel is continuing to reject and rebel against God. Uh, Korah is the one who institutes this particular rebellion. It's one of the worst recorded in uh, in the book of Numbers. Korah is a Levite, but he's not a priest. And so he is of the tribe that you'll remember when we're, le- when we're reading Leviticus. Uh, we learn about the tribe of Levi, and they're actually specially selected by God to be um, either the priests or they have things to do with taking care of the tabernacle, later the temple. So Korah is a part of that tribe. And Korah 
and those who ally with him resent the fact that God had specially chosen Moses and Aaron to walk into his presence. And so Moses and Aaron have a special relationship with God. We see that Aaron as the high priest is the one who, uh, particularly on the Day of Atonement, uh, walks into God's presence. He gets to experience that Moses time and time again. We see that when he comes down from Mount Sinai, uh, that he has seen the presence of God and he's actually glowing. Um, There's this whole kind of just beautiful picture of how God's presence changes people. So Moses and Aaron have this special connection. Uh, Korah seems to be a little bit jealous of that. And then what we get is that Korah has, and then a lot of people who are allied with him, uh, begin to basically tell God that he's doing this wrong, that he's chosen the wrong people, that it's not right, which is always which is always right, wise, as we read in the book of Job. Like, there's nothing better than just telling God he's doing it wrong. Um, Stay tuned this episode for more talks on division in the church. <laughs> speaking of, we'll get we'll get there here in a little bit. Um, it's it's just it's just a really it's just a really crazy story. And so what we see is that God tells um, Moses that he's gonna just he's like I'm done. I'm wiping out this people. And Moses and Aaron uh, pray and intercede for the people. Um, that's not what they want. God says, okay, we'll get everyone away from Korah and those who are with him. And so there's kind of this picture of the people of Israel, like literally packing up and moving their tents away from where Korah and the people who are with them are because they're scared of what God's about to do. And so if you want to get a mental picture of it, it's just all of a sudden there's a giant camp surrounding it. There's a lot of nothing. And then in the middle, there's Korah and his people. They're staying there. They're stubborn. Um, they're rejecting God, but the rest of the people are kind of getting what's going on here. And then the Bible literally talks about how the earth opens up. And just swallows those people in, which again, like it's, it's just nuts to even think about uh, what's happening in that situation. I don't know if there's an earthquake going on or how God even made that happen, but it talks about the earth literally just opens up, swallows up the people and then just closes again. And here's the thing that's interesting. And we're going to talk about it next week. Like, I feel like if you're an Israelite and you see that go down, like, aren't you just like, Okay, God, you're legit. Like yeah. we're we're following whatever you say. But you know, we'll read again next week that uh not so much uh the reaction of Shocking. the Israelites. Um but I want to say and and here's really where it is. God shows the Israelites mercy by not wiping them out. He just wipes out this small uh rebellion that is going on. They see this incredible thing happen and then here's the response. Numbers chapter 16 verses 41 through 50. But on the next day all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord, which again, uh, that was very clearly not Moses and Aaron who made that happen. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses, against Aaron, they turned towards the tent of meeting and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of God appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So just to pause there, here's what's happening. God shows mercy to the people of Israel. He doesn't wipe them out. He swallows up this rebellion. And the next morning they're saying, how dare you, Moses and Aaron, do this thing. And God gets so angry that his presence appears. It talks about this cloud appearing over the temple. And he basically says, Moses, 
Aaron, step aside. I'm killing everyone right now. Like this, we're starting over. We're, we're starting over. I'm getting the new people. Um, and again, here's the thing: we talk about in numbers. You see the difference of generations. This first generation is just rejecting God every single chance that they get, and God is getting God is getting angry about it. Um, but they fell on their faces in, in verse 46. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put the fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, Lord, the plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put the, on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. Tough day to be an Israelite. Tough. I mean, man, it's just so interesting that we we see this. And we see that God does miracle after miracle after miracle. And not only just him doing it but also through Moses and Aaron. And it's it's just so interesting to see that um, no matter how much you do for the Lord, there's always going to be critics. And I don't mean to say that in like a joking sense. I think it's true. Sure. That we see this guy, Korah, who thinks he can do it better. He thinks he can do it wiser. He thinks that just because he's talented that God has anointed him. But the reality is there's a big difference between talent and anointing. Yeah, and I th- I think one of the big things to keep in mind um, as we're preparing to to move into First Corinthians, and we'll see a little bit more of uh, of this theme, is that even when the people of Israel question God's choosing, even when the people of Israel question the way God is running it, He shows the mercy. Moses and Aaron, uh, I mean, because particularly Aaron in this story, atone for the people's sins, or in other words, they're asking God for forgiveness, and God actually does forgive them. Mm-hmm. And then again, the people of Israel just they always forget about it. It's yeah. it's it's numbers can be so discouraging sometimes because we can see we can see ourselves yeah. in the people of Israel. Yeah, and with that, um, just it kind of segues perfect into First Corinthians chapter three is where we're going to be landing today. And Paul um, is mentioning another thing about divisions in the church. So this wasn't just an Israelite thing. This wasn't just you know something that Paul was dealing with. We still deal with this to this day. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm just going to read um, a little bit of it. Uh, I believe it's just the first couple of verses. Um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and there's a lot going on in Corinth. Let's just keep it at that. Yeah, we talked about it last yeah. episode. <laughs> and um, he's just trying to really help them understand. And this is what he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, Cora. <laughs> you are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful, sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? And what Paul is referring to here, there was this common thread, there was this common thought of when 
um, you know, you were a new believer, you either followed Paul's teaching or you followed Apollos' teaching. And if you remember, um, Apollos, we see him actually in Acts chapter 18. And we mentioned um, he was this guy that um, we, we read about him. He was just a phenomenal speaker, and right. a, you know, a great charismatic guy. And he didn't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had John's baptism. And so Priscilla and Aquila, just a quick recap, they basically confront him in a loving way because they want to coach him. They don't want to condemn him. They want to coach him so that he can live to his full potential. And Apollos and Paul are contemporaries. Um, and, and really, um, they're not like contemporaries in the sense of like they're doing this together. Paul through Apollo, or excuse me, Paul through Aquila and Priscilla really is a mentor to Apollos. And so now it's kind of turning into this teacher versus student debate. And people are basically saying, well, you know what? I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Paul. When really they're preaching the same message, just in different ways. And let's just talk about current day. This happens all the time. Oh, for sure. I mean, we we have people that are saying, well, I listen to Judah Smith sermons because he's the best. Or I listen to Mark Driscoll. And then somebody would be like, well, Mark Driscoll this and Judah Smith that. And, it, and it, it's not beneficial because the message that they're preaching is the same. And it's something that we shouldn't be arguing. Now, here's the deal. Blatant heresy, that's when we're going to, you know, come out and we're going to say – I'm not talking about people who are, you know, off and and even like controversial people. I'm talking about people who are preaching the gospel. And a lot of people don't like, um, you know, certain preachers because, well, they don't get into the meat of the scriptures. It's it's very important. I think for us, we're really wrapped up in a church culture. Like we both uh, are young guys going into ministry – and so I think for us, it's easy to get wrapped up into just, you know, whatever famous speaker that you just lo- love listening to, all the different stuff. But I would say for everyone, it's it's not just a danger of being wrapped into that. It's also a danger of make sure that you're not a bigger fan of your church than you are a big, uh, of the gospel. Ooh. So, ooh. So, um, and I think there's a lot of times where we can say, well, that church just does it, you know, completely wrong or this yeah. church, like whatever. It's like, keep in mind, keep the keep the central thing the central thing. Yeah. The important thing is the gospel. The important thing is, is the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus being preached? If it is, you know what? Yeah, yeah. You're, we're not always going to 100% align with everything that everyone does. Yeah, but that's the thing. When we, We've mentioned it so many times. There are closed-fisted things, and then there are open-hand things right. in the Bible. And if somebody is preaching against one of these core doctrinal beliefs that we would consider to be a cornerstone of our um, our our Christianity, and they're saying the complete opposite, man, those are things you got to be aware of. But here's the deal. So what can we take from this passage? It's important to remember that God has empowered many different different people, even today, to preach his word. And as long as there's no heresy, um, we don't have the right to stand up and yell about it and complain about it. We all have our own preferences, obviously. But to get, come out and say somebody is doing this wrong because we just don't maybe like the way they're doing it. That's wrong. And and it goes, you know, even for more than just other preachers. Um you know, it, it goes to do you know the the music that we sing on Sundays. It oh, goes sure. to the way we do communion, the way we do baptisms, the way we do our services. The reality is we have a lot of hot takes as humans of the way things are, should be done, and nothing will ever be done perfectly to our belief. And and though and not in the belief in like 
you know, Christianity or in Jesus, but I'm saying like in the belief of how things should be done. Yeah, philosophy. Philosophy. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. And the truth of the matter is, man, like we can have our own opinions and stuff, but let's be people who build up our churches, our pastors, our leaders, even fellow Christians. Let's not be people who tear each other down. And, um, you know, we threw out the word um, sanctification. Uh, a few a few podcasts ago, and sanctification is what we're called to. It's becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. Jesus preached against hypocrisy. He preached against heresy. He preached against um, you know all these all these things to religious leaders, and he accepted those who were far from him. And I just feel like if we have that mindset, and when we go to the church or even our Christianity, um, of you know what, there's different preferences. People are going to, um, you know, people like Evan on this podcast more than they like me. And well, I'm you know, more of a Connor man. Yeah. And I'm more of an Evan man, you know, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, man, God has empowered so many great people around us, not just pastors, not just worship leaders, but literally just people who are, you know, lay ministers is a way to put it, who are just killing it. And they're doing such mm-hmm. a great, I think of a guy like Rich Smith in our church who he's not paid by our our church. He's not on staff, but he is a pastoring our staff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's people like that, that help the church go around. But if we get caught in, well, I don't like this and I don't like that, man, we're going to miss out on what the beauty of the church is really about. Yeah. Keep the close hand things, the close hand things, keep the open hand things, the open hand things. And I think that's great, man. Uh, moving, moving along this week, uh, we are also going to be starting the fourth and final gospel. Well, I guess it's the the second gospel in your Bible, but we're reading it forth. Um, and that would be the gospel of Mark. And so I wanted to give uh, just a few things to look for as we're reading through this book. Uh, first off, Mark is the shortest of all of the different gospels. So it's actually, uh, it's a very quick read and it's called the action gospel just because of how it goes from uh, really miracle to miracle to story. Like it's very matter of fact. It almost reads um, like a newspaper, yeah. I guess, where it's just, you're reading small articles about things that happened throughout the ministry of Jesus. Now the author of Mark is John Mark. Uh, you may remember him. If that name sounds familiar, he is the guy who Paul and Barnabas get in an argument over and actually split over. Yep. And so if you'll remember, Paul doesn't want to bring John Mark Barnabas does. They get in an argument about it. Paul, uh, Barnabas and John Mark go their separate ways, and then Paul actually takes Silas, and they go on their own missionary journeys. Most scholars say that it was the first gospel written. It's dated to about AD 60, so about 30 years after uh, the events that it is describing. Uh, the reason it's dated earlier is because both Matthew and Luke seem to draw very heavily on Mark. And so if you'll remember, we have this term called uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They're telling similar stories, and it's kind of just it's it really seems like it's the same core story that they're telling, um, and then they all have their own different things that they add in there. They have their different things that they take out, um, but they're they're going to sound very familiar when you're reading them. Whereas John uh, focuses on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost no debate that Mark is the author. There's no conflicting reports, and it's very early on. The earliest manuscripts that we have attribute his authorship to the book. Um, and then one of the really interesting ideas about it is that. Um, most scholars believe that the gospel of Mark is actually, um, or I shouldn't say actually, it, he relies heavily on the testimony of Peter. So Peter, the disciple, we get really early references from, uh, Papias and 
uh, Justin Martyr, who are two early church fathers, and they talk about how Mark is writing the recollections of Peter. And so I guess you could almost think of it in a way as the gospel of Peter. Um, the letter was most likely written to Roman Christians. Uh, Mark is the only gospel writer who mentions the son of si- the sons of Simon. So the reason we think that it's written to Roman Christians is because in the book of Romans, Paul actually talks about Simon, who's the man who carries Jesus' cross, if you'll remember in the gospel story, Jesus collapses under the weight of the cross. Uh, the centurions who are there call a man out of the crowd, and that man actually carries the cross for Jesus up and up to Golgotha. Um, Paul mentions in the book of Romans that his sons are actually well-known, and they live in Rome. And so the reason we think that Mark is written to Roman Christians is because he goes out of his way not just to mention Simon, but to also mention his sons, almost as a way of confirming, hey, if you don't think this happened— his sons live in town. You yeah, can go, go ask them. Yeah, go find them. They'll tell you exactly what went on. Uh, and the last thing I want to bring up uh, about the book of Mark that's really interesting, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, when we get there. Um, there's one part of Mark that is really confusing when you read through it. And the idea is it, it's during the uh, the section where Jesus is arrested. So they're at Gethsemane. I said it right that time. Yes. Um, but anyways, when they're at the, when they're in the garden, Jesus is arrested. Uh, Mark tells this really random aside about this young man who's there. Um, and he almost gets caught by the Roman centurions, but he's so scared that he runs away. So just like the other disciples who are terrified of what's happening, uh, this young man runs away and it says the centurion actually reaches and grabs at his cloak. And he's so freaked out this young man that he just takes off his clothes and he just runs, uh, he runs away. Um, also the earliest, you know, the earliest record of somebody streaking. Also, so there you go. So. Baseball season is among us, upon us. Yes. So there you go. That's not a suggestion that you should do that, by the way. We do not endorse that. We do not endorse streaking at Mariners games. Um, but all that, all of that aside, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hints that this person is probably Mark. It's the only gospel that includes this story. And I think it really is. It's a beautiful way that Mark lumps himself in with the disciples, not in the sense of, you know, I was also there and kind of like glorifying himself, but he's saying, hey, like when Peter denied Jesus three times, when the disciples were freaking out and scared and they doubted, that was me too. I was so scared of what was going to happen. I ran away. And the naked thing isn't just like a funny thing. It's also shame. Um, and it really is this shameful story of someone who didn't want to stand up, who didn't want to be with Jesus, but was so scared that he ran away. And I think it's beautiful that Mark's story of redemption is that in that moment he ran away. And then later on, we see that he chickened out on a missionary journey and Paul was so angry. He didn't want to bring him any, bring him on any more trips. And yet we get one of our four gospel accounts from this man because God doesn't use perfect people. God just uses people who are willing. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And, you know, to close things out today, we are going to be finding ourselves in the book of Psalms. Um, We are in Psalm chapter 90, and this is a psalm that Moses wrote. And yes, Moses from Exodus, Moses, the Ten Commandments. Um, It's actually not a psalm of David, um, which seems to be like a ton of them. I don't know how (laughs) many he's written, but it has to be over two-thirds of it. Um, and really, I just want us to focus in on one verse. And and really, it's not not. I don't want to pull any like deep theological you know truth out of it. I just want it to be an encouragement to us this week 
and just a way that we can view um, our life. It says this, Psalms 90 verse 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And I just think that is such a good reminder that, I mean, I'm 27. I just turned 27 um, on March 23rd. Um, so next year you guys can get me a gift or whatever, but um, <laughs> that's a joke. But, you know, every single year your birthday rolls around and you're reminded of, you know, man, life is moving. And it's chugging along. It's just going and it doesn't stop. And if we don't take time to realize that life is just going to keep moving, we can fall into some just traps of like, well, I can get to it tomorrow or I can do it, you know, next week or, or, or whatever. And I love how Moses says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life, not so that we can live in fear of dying one day, but so that we may grow in wisdom and just being able to do things more wisely. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, wonderful. One of the things we were talking about, um, and I guess we'll just wrap up with this um, before we started recording, is just when you look at older worship songs, I think one of the interesting things about them is that almost all of them record or they have a, a verse that's about what it looks like at the end of life. Like you think of Amazing Grace, you know, it talks about when we've been there 10,000 years, um, even a more modern one, like, Oh, praise the name of Hillsong. It talks about, and I will rise among the saints. My, my gaze transfixed on Jesus face. It's really this idea that um, part of living as a Christian is living with the end in mind. Um, and just the idea of living well, the idea of dying well, like all these different things, like it's, it's important for us to keep in mind um how short life actually is. And I love that it says that's um, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Yeah. The idea behind it is that we become more wise when we realize that, um, you know, this life isn't all there is. And this life is, is short relative compared yeah. to the rest of the it's way like that vapor, we're going to be. Yeah. The, what the Bible says compared to the way that we're spending the rest of eternity. Absolutely. So. Well, that wraps it up for uh, another episode. Sorry, we went a little bit longer this week, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, just want a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to find out more resources, you can visit our website at grove.church. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, do us a favor, uh, leave us a review. Uh, it really helps us out. It helps get the podcast out to more people. It helps us to grow uh, this community to be, really be even larger so that we can have a, a really just a large group of people who love the Bible, who want to learn more about it, and so we can all read it together. With that being said, we will see you all next week.